Um, as you know, Judd is in uh, England uh, at John Eineke's wedding, and uh, actually the wedding has already happened, but uh, John Eineke was actually the first member, uh, first one who signed the covenant agreement with our church, with EBC, so it was kind of neat that he got to go. Do we have a picture of, of Judd? Can we, can we show that? Um, in the, uh, the Anglican church, I think is what it is. But, uh, so, so we're thinking maybe the, the podium here, we could, you know, raise it up a little bit and probably not, probably not, but, uh, we miss him. And, and so today you get, uh, you get the novice, um, that's, uh, you know, makes you appreciate Judd and, and we will miss him. But, uh, uh, the, the upside is my sermons are, you know, considerably shorter than his. So, <laughs> so you get out of here today. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the we wanted to start off and kind of going with this this uh, you know theme of England. We're going to have our uh, my favorite accent, uh, Mick Daly, come up and and read from Romans six. And and so Mick, if you'd come up, but I, I want you to pay close attention as Mick is reading, and and maybe even note some of the passages that speak to you today, because we're going to do something a little differently. I'm not going to exposit Romans six. My, my sermon rather parallels this passage, and so we're using these, this theme of Romans 6 as I go through my sermon. So I'd really like you to pay close attention as Mick reads.
Thank you, Mick. Let's, uh, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that uh, Your Word would speak to us this morning, that Your truth would pierce our hearts, that our uh, conscience would be convicted where it needs to be, and that our lives would be changed, and that we would live uh, a little more each day like the Christians You would have us to be. Father, thank You for Judd. I just pray that You would continue to keep him safe and to keep his family safe in his absence. And we look forward to his return and uh, continuing to preach with us next week. So, Father, we just pray that you'd be with us through the remainder of this service and bless this time. And again, that you would receive our offerings and our praise. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with a question. So do... Christians in America generally display display integrity. And I'm not talking about your favorite saint or mentor, and I'm not talking about the Christian whose example you strive to follow as they follow Christ. I'm talking in general terms across the landscape of Christianity in America. And uh, in my observation, sadly, a, a brief look at that can leave you to wonder how those who are in the church are much different than the non-Christians around them. And when they do national surveys about spirituality and religion, the vast majority, some close to 80% of of Americans will claim Christianity as their faith. Uh, But notably, those numbers plummet when the questions become more specific about who Jesus Christ is and what importance that plays in the modern world. Uh, For those lip service believers, if uh, being a Christian means actually living differently in tangible ways, they're no longer interested in remaining attached to their so-called faith. So my objective in the lesson today is to hopefully get you to think about how you prioritize and how you live your life. And uh, I hope you'll take the time to examine how you're living in every area of your life in light of your position in Christ. Now, first of all, understand that I'm not suggesting that we should live righteously in order to be saved. Christ paid the price for our sins on the cross. The work is done. Amen. So the, as for, you know, Romans six that we just read, if, if that's true, as it suggests that Christians have died to sin and now are alive to God in Christ, then that belief should should play out in our lives and should uh, result in displays of righteousness. And, you know, it could be argued that some Christians uh, simply don't know what righteousness looks like. They, they haven't seen that exhibited, and, you know, until they receive further instruction, they're not going to be able to carry that out fully. And, and I will concede that uh, all Christians bring different sin issues to their faith, uh, and they have individual struggles in overcoming those sins. And on top of that, we all begin at very different points in that journey. Um, and sanctification, or our journey in righteousness, is a progressive journey. And so if we've been said to have died to sin, uh, then we will be progressively throughout our life, our entire life, growing in holiness. Now, uh, that growing part can present a challenge Because if someone requests prayers for a sin that they're struggling with 
and uh, we pray for them, and they're going to work on it. And three years later, their prayer requests would indicate the same level of struggle uh, with that same sin. We need to take a closer look. Um, the fact is we have the power of God uh, within us to conquer sin uh, within our lives. And so uh, there is no sin that cannot be defeated. And if you ask around in this very congregation, uh, there are brothers and sisters here who have overcome difficulties that would have seemed insurmountable but for the power of Christ. And, you know, the, those are powerful stories, and I hope you know some of those people, but when you, you see what they've overcome, you think, okay, I don't have any problem that big, and uh, I can do this. So it's a faith builder. But uh, being Christians who are living in grace gives us a, a great deal of freedom. That said, it is abundantly clear that we are to live in the world but not be of the world. And so we're commanded to glorify God, and all we do, the fact is, we have to conquer sin in every area of our lives. And we cannot compartmentalize and separate our lives into these neat little boxes where each area looks and feels differently. We should be shining examples of Christian integrity where there's consistency in every area of our lives. And here are some areas where some rather uh, masterful justification or rationalization can take place. So how about uh, when we're out in the world and traveling? I'm going to read a couple of verses here. And I'm going to begin with Colossians 4, uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 5. So if you want to turn there with me. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech Always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And then 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 uh, says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. By the way, I'm reading from the New American Standard, uh, so if you're having trouble following along, um, parallels. Um, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So the question When you're traveling, do you try to worship with your brothers and sisters around the world? Do you still take quiet time and and take time to pray while you're traveling? Do you look for opportunities to help the needy and share the gospel? And maybe a big one here. Do you remember when you're traveling that you are a guest in their city, state, or country and that you should behave gratefully even if you paid too much for that privilege? Well, how about when we're with friends? This is an area where it's easy to slip up. And John 15, 12 through 14 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. So do we encourage our friends uh, with love and good works, spurring them on to good deeds? Uh, Do we help our friends become the best person they can be? And are we choosing our friends carefully? If your friend is discouraging you in any way from being the best person you can be, I would suggest limited exposure to that person because they may not actually be your friend. Um, Let's read 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You can't wallow with the pigs without getting money. So choose who you're going to hang around. Let's move on to another area, the, the workplace, the pressure cooker, the school. And when you're at work or school, are you consistent with who you, you, you are in Christ and what you believe? Do you act the same as you would at home or at church? And are you aware that your example there may be the only exposure to Christianity that your colleagues uh, may ever see or experience? And you also need to be aware that there are actually people there who are looking for a reason to criticize you as a hypocrite. And so you are a walking witness. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Ephesians 4.28 says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. The question, when you're at work, Do you perform even the mundane tasks with the realization that you're doing them for God himself and not for man? There's a a movie that I watched a long time ago. It's called Razor's Edge. It was done in 1984. And the scene there played out, and and it struck me deeply, and I've never forgotten it. But first, a a disclaimer. Uh, This movie was a remake, which is always a little disappointing. You'd think we'd have enough new ideas. We wouldn't have to do that, but Hollywood really isn't that creative. Uh, and number two, this is not a movie to watch for some deep theological truth, so don't <laughs> hear me. I'm not steering you that way. Um, but um, in whatever I watch, I'm always looking for glimpses of, of truth, and uh, there's a character in it, Bill Murray, and he actually plays a serious role in this one, and he's this lost soul who's looking for meaning, and he's traveling out around the world because he had lost his faith. And so this was both during and after the war, and in this particular scene, he's now in India, and he's watching this servant who is very diligently washing dishes in this dirty river uh, next to these very lavish tourist boats. And so Bill Murray's watching the man who's very intent on washing these dishes, and he's doing so with great energy and great care, and he's kind of overcome with curiosity so he approaches the man and asks him you know why are you working so diligently and the man explains that even a simple task like this becomes holy work when it's done for God and and so Murray is moved by the man's faith and he was like well why is your faith so strong when you're so poor and you're so near such wealth 
And the man smiles and he humbly explains that this kind of work keeps him grounded in God. And then he admits that he actually owns several of these tourist boats. And so I, you know, I always remembered that and I've tried to take that into my workplace because reality is all of us, no matter what your job, there's aspects of your job you don't like. There's tasks you have to do that are pretty distasteful. There's people we have to hang around we'd rather not. But if we approach even those tasks uh, with a mindset that we're doing them for God, uh, we can find a quiet joy even in those moments. So another area that's telling is at home because the world isn't seeing you. It's just those people who know you best. And let's read Colossians 3, and we'll read verses 18 through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. When you're at home, do you speak to your family with care and courteousness? Do you watch programs or listen to programs together that are going to be uplifting and to help you all grow in holiness? Do you keep your communications on Facebook and email and texts pure and undefiled? Do you treat your spouse with love and respect? Now, understand I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else in the room here. Because it's fascinating to me that we can treat our own families with such disregard. No one on this planet, no other human being, is going to love us more than our own families. And yet, sometimes we're guilty of treating them worse than our enemies. So it's an area we all need to examine and and consider. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. We will behave consistently with what we truly believe. Luke 6, 44 and 45, and we're going to read a few passages from Luke, so you may want to keep your your finger there. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. The evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet, and this is important, with gentleness and reverence, We don't beat them over the head with the gospel, right? And keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So this really begs the question, do people actually see joy and hope in you? Because if we're always to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in us, we must always be displaying hope. If we have been saved, then we have been changed, and that change should appear in observable ways. I just want to hit another verse here, Ephesians 5, 9. Ephesians 5, 9. 
For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Well, let's back up. We'll start with eight. For you were formerly uh, in darkness, but now you are light of the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So again, it should appear in observable ways. Uh, our belief should have a demonstrable or demonstrable uh, impact upon us. So here's a, a great analogy, speaking of impact, and I, I borrowed this from another man's sermon. I don't know his name. saw it on the Internet, but it was a great example. So I'm going to use it here. Um, and let's just say that I was preaching today, much like I am, and I come sauntering in, and I'm 15 minutes late. And you all were waiting, and, and I come up here, and you're kind of wondering, gee, Jim, what happened? And uh, I proceed to tell you that, well, on my way to church, I took the interstate, and I got a flat tire. And so I was fixing this flat tire, and you know those big, huge logging trucks? Well, one of those things was going down the interstate at 80 miles an hour, and I stepped back into it, and it hit me full on. And, and that's why I'm 15 minutes late. At, at this point, you're pretty much thinking, well, Jim, you're insane. Because a logging truck would have a bigger impact, literally, on me than a 15-minute delay. Well, now consider how much bigger and more powerful than a logging truck is our creator king. And wouldn't you find it suspect if I claimed that I had been purchased, adopted, saved, and sanctified by the great God in heaven, but you don't really notice much impact in my life? That doesn't sound very right, does it? Well, what about the impact we have on others? Do we feel encouraged and edified do we encourage and edify others with our words? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So let me encourage you to continue as light and salt in the world around you, as I know many of you do. I, I've been just blessed of late that God's been opening my eyes to the ways that this little body is impacting our communities and, and your workplaces, and uh, it, it's amazing. Uh, there's a lot of good going on through your efforts, so continue in that, please. Well, Jesus was the consummate teacher, and he taught these same parallel lessons uh, using parables. And so I want to delve into a few of those quickly because I think they, again, kind of strengthen the points. And let's turn first to Matthew 25, and we'll read verses 14 through 21. And I am only going to read part of the parable because that's the part that it makes my point. Um, but we'll start with verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had two received, who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, I love this story because it's packed with meaning, and we could really unpack all of those parallel meanings uh, for the rest of the day here. But the, the point I want to make is that in America, we see an abundance of wealth. And so the question is, are we investing our time, talents, and treasures where they will receive eternal returns? With all that wealth, it's easy to solve problems by throwing money at it. It's even easier to suggest that someone else should solve those problems, like the government, by throwing money at it. Uh, it can be much more difficult uh, you know, to actually get involved ourselves because I don't believe that it's an accident that in the wording in this story that God chose a monetary unit that translated into modern English in the wealthiest nation in the history of the planet, that word means abilities. Because it's in our abilities and our time that we're often most reluctant to invest for God's interests. Helping those in need. This is also in Luke, and we're going to read verses 10, or chapter 10, verses 30 through 37, if you want to turn with me. Luke 10, 30 through 37. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he... Uh, came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So Jesus asks, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. Well, it can be easy for us to send money off to a missionary, but it can be much more difficult to care for, feed, and clothe the actual person that God, the Lord God has put in front of you. And it can be even more difficult to share the gospel with your friends or your neighbors. Turn a couple pages forward and we'll read Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 23. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, 
drink and be merry. That's kind of a funny passage, I think. So, so you, you can enjoy the Bible when you read it. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So this man, the man who stores up treasure for himself, so is the, the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciple, disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will wear. For the life, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Well, I pray that if nothing else, you've given a moment of uh, self-reflection to how you're living your life. We're all witnesses for Jesus and we're scrutinized and observed at all times. And living in the flesh, it's very easy to put our interests first. But we are to place our interests uh, behind God's interests and live with his interests first. And the good news is we're not left on our own to accomplish that will. God has left us His Holy Spirit. And in the power of the Spirit, we are able to overcome the flesh. We are able to grow in righteousness. And we can carry out God's commands. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I just want to finish with uh, one last verse here. In First Peter, chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He owns us, so that you may pro- proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness for and into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth it reveals. We thank you for the instruction you give us. You don't leave us alone, left to our own devices, but you give us wisdom. You give us direction. And Father, you are the creator and the designer and therefore it makes sense that you would know how best for us to run our lives you've given us the great owner's manual for humanity and that is your bible your written word and so father we just pray that we would internalize your message that it would be written on our hearts that we would not forget what you have taught us and that we would live each day in light of our position in christ Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these souls who are here. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. We know that it is only in him that we have hope. We pray all all, all this in his name. Amen. Would the men who are coming up to uh, prepare communion do so? And I believe Chris is going to...